Welcome to the Humans of Real Estate, your weekly podcast chatting with real estate industry professionals. We bring you top performing individuals to showcase their knowledge and expertise in the business to help others learn and grow. Here's your hosts, Kobe Clark-Jacobs and Emily Wallace. With over a decade of dedication to Buxton Bentley to his name, Simon Pintado has ascended from relegation to rising star. An executive assistant to a master of mentors and an ambitious newcomer to an acclaimed auctioneer. It is with no surprise that after all his hard work, Simon is now a director at Buxton Bentley. In his downtime, he enjoys going to the gym before dawn. He makes sure his motivation is maintained so his client's sale price is maximised. Simon, it's such a pleasure to welcome you to the Humans of Real Estate podcast. Thanks for having me, ladies. Great to have you on board. Now, as a starting point, we were just chatting off air about when you started real estate. I think it's a very logical place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, so give us the backstory. How did you end up in real estate? Yeah, it's a funny one. It wasn't a smooth transition. Um, so I finished high school, went to DLSL in Malvern and, you know, the typical I'm going to go to university, get a degree was what, you know, everybody's kind of wanted me to do. And uh, went and studied occupational therapy for a year, absolutely hated it failed on attendance and thought maybe it's just that course. So uh, then moved into arts commerce and I lasted three weeks and thought, yeah, university is just not for me. I took about six months off um, and, you know, did what a typical sort of 18, (laughs) 19-year-old man would do. And then it was actually my brother who sort of said to me, he's like, look, you know, you can talk a little bit of, you know, what and – I think real estate would suit you. I said, well, you know what, I'll give it a crack. And uh, I actually got my first job at Buxton in Carnegie oh. and started on my 20th birthday yep. um, and did my three-month trial period there and it was basically seven days a week, cold calling, um, you know, not your ideal first introduction into what real estate should be and got fired on the last day of my three-month oh, no, trial no. period. Yeah. Um, what was the feedback? They didn't see potential. Okay. And uh, look, it was interesting because now I look back from where I was to where I've come and it's really important to have the right mentors and I didn't, while those two blokes that I worked with were lovely people, I didn't really want to emulate them or want to be like them. Mm. And as a young 20-year-old with expectations of what real estate is, Mm. um, it just didn't really fit what I thought it should fit. So... Uh, and then I ended up, I was at my girlfriend at the time's dad's 50th and Chris Hassel's best mate said, my mate's looking for a PA. And I thought, yeah, he's wow. he's the guy I want to work with. Yeah. So, yeah, got the job and worked my way up. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. So Buxton Carnegie was first and then yes. so Bu- and you've been at Buxton Bentley since. Yeah, you were, since, yep. yeah, it was February, well, 11 years ago. Wow. Yeah. That's a decent – I mean, one thing I find fascinating from the sidelines watching Buxton Bentley as an actual office, the retention is really high. Mm. Like you guys have all been there for a long time. Yes. Why is that? It's mateship first. Uh, A lot of what we do is focused around good people. So if if you're not a good person first, then there's no place for you in our team. Um, And – we're very culture driven. So we do a lot of things. I know you had Sam Bailey on here before, mm. my business partner, lovely kid. Um, I shouldn't even call him a kid. He's, <laughs> he's a man. <laughs> um, but we're huge on that. And as he sort of uh, discussed with you ladies that 
a lot of what we do is not discussed in the office. It's, you know, having a beer with each other or having a barbecue or something like that and we discuss where we want the company to be in the next one, two, three, four, five years. Um, and we're huge on culture. We do a lot of things together. We travel together and you got to be a good person first if you want to even set foot in the door. Mm. I love that. Mm. It's a really good thing to have as a business. Mm. Before we were just talking about, or in your introduction, that you like going to the gym and a lot of fitness. Can we touch on your routines that you have and yep. what your day-to-day life looks like? Yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly structured. I never used to be when I was younger, but I find it just, I find sanity in structure and it gives me the ability to fit everything that I want to do into a day. So I'm typically up pretty early, sort of 5, 5.30. Um, I've got a big dog, Bear, which Emily's seen <laughs> most mornings. Most mornings, yeah. Um, when it's raining, when it's not raining. <laughs> um, no, I normally take him for about an hour walk along the beach in Elwood and then if I'm not jumping in the ocean because I, I love the cold water therapy, it's just a nice way to wake you up. And for me personally, it was about that becoming the biggest mental challenge and training your mind. Um, so I started in the middle of winter and I've pretty much done it every day since. Mm. It was you, you go to the gym to train your muscles. Mm. This is training your mind. And once you've done that every morning and you do it consistently, whether it's a cold shower or an ice bath or one of those sorts of things, um, that's the hardest thing you're, you're going to do for the day. And all of a sudden having a hard conversation with a vendor or a buyer is not that difficult. Mm. So that's my typical morning. Uh, I'll go home and I bought a sauna during COVID, which is great. <laughs> nice. And I, so I'll walk, uh, cold water therapy, and I'll do an hour sauna and then I'm in the office at about 8, 8.30. Yeah. And I most of the time you're lucky to catch me in a suit because it's morning, but um, <laughs> I, I won't wear a suit in the morning. I, I'm on the phone in the morning and then I'll go home at midday every day and train. Wow. And then I'm appointments all afternoon into the evening. Yeah. I want to get into more about the structure within your real estate life in a second. But just before we do, you mentioned that you probably didn't really have structure when you were younger or, you know, it came about. Did you read something, listen to something? Did someone come into your life and, you know, that because it's a a change for a lot of people who didn't grow up in that way or weren't that way inclined in the the first instance. I personally think it's a challenge to then rinse structure in from, from scratch. I agree. Yeah. Um, it was a multitude of things. So I, I listen to podcasts religiously yep. and I'm not a reader. I don't read books, yep. but you know, I'm, I would listen to 10 podcasts a week every morning when I'm driving all the time. Um, and it was actually Chris Hassel, to be honest with okay. you. Um, he got me into the gym. Uh, he got me into like having a structured life. And for me, it was almost like a light bulb moment that if I want to be this type of person that I'm going to need to implement certain things into my life in order to get there. It doesn't just happen overnight. Mm. And once you build a habit out of something, you know, first you form your habits and then your habits form you. So for me it was just about what kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to go on this holiday or do I want to make this amount of money or do I want to have these relationships with my family or do I want to have this relationship with food or my body or my mindset, uh, mental health? Mm. So. Chris was a big influence for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm. Oh, it's just good to know where either that came from because I yeah. think it's a big change, which is awesome. Yeah. It sounds like it served you well, you know. Yeah, and just having – I'm a big believer that you're most like the five people you spend the most time with and that's why we're very fortunate at Buxton Bentley with the people that we've got. But that was a real change for me, you know, as a young 20-year-old sort of, as I say, from Buxton Carnegie to, Carnegie to Buxton Bentley, huge difference uh, in terms of – the people that I wanted to emulate. 
So I want to touch on the routine that you have in your real estate day. Yes. Because I came into your office once, the Buxton Bentley office. Yeah. And then I sat in your office and, and listened to you do calls of yeah. your database. Yeah. And um, I was very impressed by how um, that was structured and how you stuck to that. Yeah. And you just, it was just like watching an engine work basically. Mm. So what's that like? Do you have any um, metrics for yourself around managing your database around your outbound cold calls? What does that look like? Um, when I was starting out, it was very much count your calls, those types of things. Um, and there was a turning point maybe five years ago where I'm like, it's not about the amount of calls you make, it's about the quality of the calls that you make. So I Tuesdays is our database day. I'll try not to have any appointments on a Tuesday. And as you would have seen when you came in, Em, I've got a stand-up desk and it's, you know, I feel like my energy is a lot better when I'm talking to people and it's just on the phone, having good quality conversations with people, not a sales call, just checking in, saying g'day and reminding them to help if they need. Um, Tuesday is the big day on the phones, but obviously the busier we get, it does filter into the rest of the days of the week, but mm. Tuesday is the big day. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm never a morning appointment kind of guy. It's always the morning in the office, get in early, make sure that you've got your ducks in a row for the rest of the day. How would you compare yourself as an agent now compared to when you first started over 10 years ago? It's a great question. Um, there's a lot that's changed. I think when I was younger, I'm a, I'm definitely an extrovert, yep. but curbing a young man's testosterone and that fine line between confidence and cockiness, mm. I probably toyed with a lot when I was younger, especially having some good success right out of the gate. Um Humility is a big one, I think, and I'm reminded of that by the people that I aspire to be like but also, you know, getting a talking to from my business partners <laughs> and we all do it with each other. We all yeah. pull each other into line when we need to, which I love. Um, I think just I've got my head screwed on a little bit more than yeah. what I did when I was younger. I was a bit fly by the seat of my pants and I'm right, you're wrong <laughs> and now it's a bit more, well, you're not always right. And I think that I try and remind myself of that all the time. Uh, you know, you, you might be an expert in something, but the day that you stop realising that you can change and be better, you become stale. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's key. Um, particularly, I mean, male or female going, you know, 20s to 30s, that's a very, it's a lot of brain changing, mindset Ooh, yeah. changing, a lot of realisation in that time as well. Yep. And to hold the same career, but you know, not change fundamentally as a person, but change, you know, the way you operate and the way you think, mm. um, obviously gets different outcomes as well. Yeah. And I think life experience helps too. Yeah. And that's from, in every sense of the word, both in business and personal. I, I thought about that on my 30th birthday. I'm like mm. from 20 to 30, it's such a big difference. And I'm excited to see what 30 to 40 is mm. too, because maturity levels, it's totally different. You might, I look at, 19, 20, 21 year olds. And I remember me then being like, I'm an adult. You know? <laughs> I, know, I know it. And then now I'm like, oh, hold on, man. You didn't know anything. So I'm excited to see what's, what's in store for the future. What would be your proudest moment in real estate? I was, I was thinking about this all week. Um, <laughs> and there's a few, um, I've got to say one that's not related to me would be training up Dimi Spanos, who's now moved into sales and um, he had a really 
not so great experience at his last agency and then watching him sort of flourish is amazing and knowing that I had a hand in that was was awesome. Um, before him, James French, who's now also killing it. Um, oh, were you with James French previously? Yeah, he yeah he's awesome. Yeah, he's a gun. Um, training up these younger guys, I think that's probably my proudest moment and then probably before that would have been, you know, becoming an auctioneer and mm. becoming a director, those types of things. But yeah. I think something that's not related to me would certainly be when, you know, you've got somebody that's green, you train them up and then they step out and they step out already killing it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. For a change of pace on things and talking more about the logistics of real estate, yep. you know, and getting listings and, and that sort of thing, you know, you'll be called in with two, three other agencies or you know, everyone wants an opinion of what their property's worth sure. and who's going to do the best job. Where do you think agents can fall down in a listing presentation or I guess the inverse of that, what do you think are some really great things to be doing in a listing presentation that some people don't do? It's a good question. I think um, I always liken our job, albeit not the same, uh, you don't need to be as smart as a doctor to be a real estate agent, you just don't. Yeah. But the way I always explain it to the guys that we work with is when you go to the doctor and there's something wrong with you, the doctor doesn't just sit there and prescribe and tell you what's wrong with you and what the procedure should be. The first half an hour of the conversation is them asking you questions. Mm -hmm. So it should be that. It should be them or the agent asking the vendor a multitude of questions to find out what their situation is, what exactly they're looking for and tailoring their approach to that. So in a sense you should be a practitioner, not just a real estate agent. Mm. Um, Asking questions and listening is huge and, you know, expect them to get other opinions if it's a random phone call and, hey, I've seen your name around and that's fine. They're silly if they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever, are there ever situations where it's just you called in? A lot of the time now. Okay. Um, Because of what we do, so database fueled, I'd say 85 to 90% is either database or referral for me at the moment and rarely will I get called in with competing against other agents. And if it is, it's the same one or two agents that we're called in against. Yeah. I love it. It's like a friendly competition. If you don't have a competitive (laughs) nature, it's like, well, you shouldn't be in the job. Exactly. And I mean, obviously your core service area is quite condensed when you think about it. Like Mm. on a grand scale of Melbourne, you look at the Bentley office and the surrounding suburbs, it's a lot of family homes, you know, general sort of sense of 1.2 to 1.5 figure, you know, for a three better. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of a lot of the similar types of people, similar type of stock. Yeah. 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 And I've noticed the demographic locally, well, you know, from when I started to, to now is totally changed. It's people of our demographic that are looking to buy in and, Obviously, that works well for me being a 31-year-old. So um, mm, it's good. What advice would you have for anyone entering the industry? Um, Be a sponge and surround yourself with great quality people that have got time and patience for you. Because if you don't, you'll have a sour taste in your mouth like I did when I left Buxton Carnegie. Mm. That sucks. It's not for me. Um, And then just the the polarising difference between, you know, again, not to badmouth Buxton Carnegie, even though they're not around anymore, mm. to Buxton Bentley, it, it's changed my life. It's transformed who I am as a person, as an agent. Um, surround yourself with good quality people and listen. You don't yeah. know it all. Yeah, particularly when you're starting out, right? For it's sure. Just, yeah. I think people, the impression is that, you know, not that real estate's easy, but like almost how hard can it be? 
Mm. You know, there's plenty of agents out there. How hard can it be? Yes. And that attitude is quickly diminished when people start having to do cold calls or Mm. go and knock on doors or deal with difficult vendors who want well over what their property's worth and trying to manage expectations. Mm. Like it's not how hard can it be? It actually is quite challenging. The way that it was explained to me when I first started was you will have, if you go to university for four or five years, you will come out with a degree. If you want to become um, a plumber, a sparky, a carpenter, whatever it might be, you have a four-year apprenticeship. You're going to need your two, three, four-year apprenticeship here where you're doing the menial non-dollar productive things to learn the ropes and you've got to pay your dues. You've got to do the time. And if you put in the time, you will reap the rewards for that down the track. Um, I think I heard somebody else mention it on your podcast, the one, one of the ones that I listened to where a lot of people expect to water the plant and bear the fruit the same day and mm. it's just... Salmon on. Yeah, I was going to say salmon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was a great podcast, that one. Um, interesting, his background with what yeah. he did with the cars and all that. Um, you, you know, you've you got to play the long game. That's it. And anyone that's been in real estate for five, ten years, that's it's a very common theme. What would you say has changed the most in the actual industry itself during your time? Because we've had a wave of technology, social media. Mm. Um, I can't believe that some agents still handwrite name and numbers at a door. Um, mm. So what what have you seen change over time and, and how have you adapted to that? I went to one last night actually where <laughs> I went and presented to them maybe like seven years ago. And they had my folder of <laughs> what I'd presented <laughs> and the authority or, and everything all in there. And I'm like, paper authority. I'm like, I've got a new guy who started with me, Ollie. And I'm like, mate, this is how we used to sign authorities. <laughs> and it was interesting. Now everything's digital, obviously. Um, I know social media plays a big part. I think young agents place too much importance on social media okay. in terms of they're not actually, they think if you have a great social media account, then that's going to make you a good agent. It's mm-hmm. not the case. Um, you need to do the work and your social media should be an asset that you use but it shouldn't be your main asset. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's made a big difference and I think that the gap between agents and great agents has has changed and I think COVID's really highlighted that too. Yeah. You know, the cream has risen to the top and then everybody else is being clumped together. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. And yeah. good point about that social media being an asset that you use, not your – Not at all. And mm. people can fall into that trap. Yep. And if you're only ever, you know, posting pictures of you in front of a sold board, that it's just not – like you need to add value. Oh, you know, like, like, next. Yeah. It's so <laughs> Like it, I mean, I think it's good to have there to show you are selling things. Sure. Like I think it serves a purpose. But if that's literally all you ever post uh, – yeah, you sell houses, but there's, what else have you got to offer? There's a difference between advertising and marketing, Yeah, you know, and putting up you in front of a sold sticker, as you say, if you do that consistently, it's like, yeah, great, but, like, where's the context? Where's the substance? You'd much rather interview a vendor and say, how was your experience? Mm. Um, you know, do a quick little live with them or something like that or get them to do a little video testimonial. That gives somebody insight into the people that have sold that house and why they chose mm. you rather than, how good am I with this old sticker, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think some people do social media really well and others don't. I mm-hmm. think it's one thing for younger agents to be mindful of is nobody cares about your watch, nobody cares about your car. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's a lot of that recently, I've noticed. Just yes. generally speaking, like I follow agents Australia-wide yep. um, because I'm just always fascinated by, you know, 
you know, stock volumes and sales results and all the rest mm. of it. But one thing I must say I've noticed is there's just a, a portion who are f- so focused on brands, watches, cars, and it doesn't help because – so one reason I didn't become a sales agent, and this is absolutely no offence because we love agents, mm. um, but the – the persona of a sales agent was already predetermined. Mm. Okay, and it's—I'm sure agents know that they'd be There's you a lot know, of naive. Wankers, to yeah, put it bluntly. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you've got to be so mindful of that mm. because there's a difference between working hard for you know the car, your dream car that you really want, and that's awesome you've achieved it, versus I've taken out this lease, I drive around this flashy car, and I've maybe got one listing this month. Mm. Yes, you know, there is a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I, that we instill with all the guys and girls that come through our office that great work hard for those things. And it's a nice personal goal for you, yeah. financial goal, whatever it might be, but people aren't happy for you. If you're plastering it all over social media, it should be something that you do for yourself. Yeah. Mm. Um, there's a lot of clout chasing. I know is there like a term that people use mm. and at the end of the day, I mean, Tom Panos says it perfectly. He's like, there's a lot of broke million-dollar agents. Yeah. There's a lot of them. I saw that post where he broke it all down as well. Yeah. And it's so true. <laughs> no money left. It's so true. You know, yeah. I, I'd, I'd rather – I would rather personally invest my – what I earn into experiences rather than things. Simon, just in closing, can we talk about your hardest transaction that you've had? Yes, um, <laughs> we can. Juicy story. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about which one I talk about because there's been a few. <laughs> you've been through the wars. Um, yeah, I, I, look, I think if anyone does this long enough, there's always going to be some tough ones. Um, the one that I probably wanted to talk about was one that I had. I actually sold it during COVID, okay. amazingly. Um, it had been on the market for 12 months. Oh. And these are clients that I sold for in Bentley. We broke a record for them in Bentley. Their property was probably worth one eight, sold for over two point four mil at wow. auction. So they were wrapped, and they they had interviewed five agents for that home. We got the business, we sold it for them really well, and then they went and bought a block in East Brighton, and they paid, I'd say, close to half a million over Ooh. at auction. So they paid two point seven five for it, right at the peak in twenty seventeen. Right, they were going to build two luxury townhouses on it, and then plans change. Like we need you to sell it. 12 months it was on the market and I sold it three times. Oh, geez. How and did it fell over twice. On finance? First one was on, was it cooling off? Yeah. Um, the buyer bought it and then cooled off. The second one, it was subject to finance and FIRB. Yeah. She got the FIRB but didn't get the finance. Uh, so that fell over. Mm. And then the third time we got the deal done, all of them sold for 2.75, which even today is probably still, it's still overs, but right. they're wrapped and the yeah. buyer's wrapped and- it was just because you'd done such a good job the first time yes. and they paid so much, it was like we're really pushing it uphill from the get-go here, but it was a nice experience. It's so perseverance it for 12 months on market. As soon as That's like, all it is. I mean, on our side, we see as a buyer, we see something at length on market and we're like, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? <laughs> yeah. Straight away. And yeah. this one, it was the price. It was, it was overpriced, but you just needed to wait and find the right buyer. And I think the hard thing about that one was calling them consistently, keeping the communication up with absolutely nothing to tell them. No. Um, and you don't want to be that agent that's like, you need a price reduction, you need a price reduction, you need a price reduction because for them it was like, no, no, no. If, that's the to. price. And also we'd sold it twice for that price. Yeah. So, so it's kind of. It's that emotional roller coaster. We've sold it. No, we haven't. We've sold it. No, we haven't. We've sold it. Is it sold this time? Yeah. And then, <laughs> Third time uh, lucky. Oh, uh, well, exactly right. 
Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. And there's a lot of gold in there for some newer agents, I think, as well. Yeah, people who are considering coming through or maybe they've just started in 2021 their real estate journey. Um, and yeah, I've certainly enjoyed learning more about you today. So thank you for spending the time with us on the Humans of Real Estate podcast. Thanks for having me. And we wish you all the best for this year and beyond. Appreciate it. I love your podcast. Everyone should listen to this one. <laughs> Not this one, thank but you. all of your podcasts. <laughs> Appreciate the support. Thank you.